I didn't want to be vulnerable and be honest and truthful because I might lose, but I started doing things like that. And I started breaking a lot of patterns and shifting my beliefs in a way that had been previously impossible for me to do. Welcome back to another episode. I am very pleased to have with me today, Tracy Crossley, who is a behavioral relationship expert. And today we're going to be talking about that ever loving mystery of how to get to secure attachment, because I think a lot of us are pretty educated about attachment and maybe even our own attachment issues. And we could talk about them all day ad nauseum, but really what we want in the end is to get to secure attachment. So we're going to be talking about this from a slightly different angle, I think, than you might be expecting. And yeah, with that, uh, Tracy, I'd love to just ask you about your own process of getting to secure attachment as much as you feel like you have with not your partner, but with life or the universe or God or spirit or whatever word you want to say for a higher power. I'd love to just hear a bit about your own journey in that regard? So I would say that my journey has been going on for over 20 years. I mean, you know, when I was younger, I think I had a lot of fear of things. And so looking inside or trying to figure out, you know, if there was a higher power, I had a lot of fear around it. I assume there was because I was psychic. And so I kind of always felt like this whole connection anyway. Um, but I was afraid of that too. And so when I, I decided I was going through my first marriage, I was, uh, getting divorced. And at that time, uh, everything fell apart and I didn't understand like what we do, I think as humans, right. We have our patterns because we have our beliefs. And so I didn't realize that my patterns at the time were based on very antiquated beliefs I had about me and how I operated who I was. I mean, I was a mom of three kids, you know, I was 30 years old and I had basically spent my twenties being married and being a mom. And so it was very, um, confusing because I had anxiety all the time. I felt completely ungrounded. Um, you know, I got into an attached situation with a guy. I was also just, I was like a pinball, you know, I couldn't really find my way. Didn't really understand what was happening because old ways weren't working is my point. My old patterns were just like, okay, what's happening. Things are blowing up in my face that I used to be able to control. Um, you know, there were situations that were happening, you know, whether it was personally or at work. And so I went on this whole spiritual path and I'm in LA. I don't know, you know, everybody's everywhere. I know that. Um, we used to have a bookstore here. It was called the Bodhi tree. And it was just like this really cool place. It was a very spiritual bookstore. And I used to go there and I collect all these books on, you know, everything because I didn't know what was wrong with me or why I felt like I did, you know, as I'm looking back, I know I felt a complete lack of safety. And so I was just attaching to anything, anywhere. And I would say over the time from then on, 
you know, I really had a lot of things blow up in my face and, you know, where I was surprised, like, oh gosh, I didn't expect that because I thought I was controlling things. Cause that's usually what we're trying to do is control things we can't control. And, you know, whether it's other people or situations or how you're perceived, all of those. Right. And I mean, I lost my identity. I mean, I had all sorts of events happen because I decided to go on this path of finding out who I was, what's my purpose, you know, all of the spiritual aspects that go with that. Um, And I would come to these intellectual places with it at first. And it was, um, I'm trying to think in years, probably about 12, 13 years ago, I had this epiphany about myself and that I collected all of this information, whether it was spiritual or emotional in nature, but I collected it in my head and I was thinking everything. I was intellectualizing everything. I had no idea that your emotions live in your body. I had no idea, right. That below my BS thinking what, you know, and my anxiety was actually, what was my motivation for how I did things or why I did things or what, what was I even here for? Right. So all of that became very clear that I had this disconnect. And so I spent a lot of years trying to figure out how to change my beliefs, how to change my patterns, how, you know, and some of it, I would fight with the universe, like, you know, F off universe, uh, you know, stop screwing me over. What are you doing? Uh, right. Isn't it the whole thing about how, uh, you know, things fall apart before they come together and you're just losing it going, what the hell? But at the same time now, I mean, I understand it when things fall apart now, I'm like, okay, something wasn't built correctly. Something wasn't built on love. Something was built on a false premise, probably fear. Yeah, I love what you're saying there about <laughs> God, universe, stop screwing me over. You know, I I feel like this is a, a common pattern that I've seen in many of my clients around the feeling of victimization that I'm somehow not getting what I deserve, or I'm not explaining it perfectly, but there's something around, you know, dating or relationships, right? Because I think this is what we're focusing on today is secure attachment to life is related to attachment to human beings. Because when you don't feel supported by life, when you feel like you're constantly struggling, when you feel like life isn't really supporting you, you don't have that sense of safety that you were describing. And so what we tend to do as human beings is look for that sense of safety in someone else or in a job or in a place or, right, So you, as you said, pinballing around looking for, am I safe here? Am I safe here? Am I safe here? And so we'll sort of attach to a person, let's say, and you're my safety. And then if they do things that make us feel unsafe, we're really angry. I mean, we're furious. You're not allowed to do that because- because you're my sense of safety. You are this incredibly important role in my life that actually that person can never fulfill. And Mm -hmm. that's the thing is that secure attachment to, to life or to something that is, um, endlessly supportive, a source of unconditional love and unconditional regard is, is, only possible with, with that being with something greater, because a human being is always going to let you down. There's no, there's no one on earth that isn't going to let you down. Everyone's going to let you down at some point. And if you've attached to them as this is my sense of safety in the world, and then they let you down, 
it's crushing. So that I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, we were chatting a little before the, the call about, you know, what did it actually look like when you were insecurely attached to that life part? I think you said maybe your your it was something like your dad or a lot of us, I think, project and like we don't realize it. This is unconscious, but life, we look at life, we view life, we experience life as our depressed mom or our alcoholic dad or some parental figure. And an example of this is how we relate to money. I'm never going to have enough money. I'm never taken care of. I always have to struggle. I'm always scrambling to get money, which can be a form of when you were young, I felt like I always had to scramble to get love. So there's a repeat of some kind of pattern, even though it looks different now. So can you tell us a little about your, your experience with that? Sure. Um, you know, my whole experience in life had been based on fear. So, you know, and what you were talking about outside of us, the things here on earth, everything is temporary. If you look at what isn't temporary, I don't think there's anything here that's not temporary. And we're trying to cling on to it and hold on to it. it could be the tree outside. The tree could get chopped down tomorrow, you know, and not to be you know, like sad for the trees because I love nature personally. Uh, but it is really about how we symbolize things. Right. So my whole symbology was to keep looking for what's familiar. So my relationship to the universe, as an example, was the same relationship I had with my dad. Like I treated the universe or God or, or whatever it is as my dad. So basically I was getting in return what I thought, you know, my dad would say, like I was being judged the same way as being criticized the same way. Um, you know, I wasn't being given the love. Of course, this is going to happen to me. You know, I'm going to be the one who's got to struggle. I'm going to be the one who's got to go through this because my dad always, you know, treated me that way. And, you know, I would say this came up. Well, I know it came up in my relationships, you know, that my, it was all of the guys were my dad. In fact, I used to do this one exercise with my clients where I'd say, okay, the person you're attached to insert your caregiver that you had the same issues with. Like for me, it was my dad. My dad was like not around. Right. So I could totally see that it wasn't the guy I was missing or the guy I was attached to. I was attached to something I didn't get from my dad. And that is what we do. We make everything familiar because as a human being, you want safety. And when you make things familiar, you're attached to it. You're, it's an attachment rather than going, well, what's unfamiliar? How do I step out of the familiarity of a dysfunctional relationship that I have with people and now with God or the universe or anything? How do I step out of that? Because my whole perception is built and based on this is what I'm supposed to do. This is a safety, but it's really not safe. Yeah. And I, I love that, you know, how do I get to something else? And I think that's part of why we're doing this episode is I really want to bring this topic to light. And I've thought about it for a long time. And I got to be honest, I've had hesitations about talking about this because I think we have a lot of charge in our culture around God, spirituality, you know, this topic and, and, and some of that's coming from a good place, right? Many of my clients have religious trauma. A lot of people have wildly different beliefs about something like the word God is very charged. It comes with all this stuff with it. And that's, I prefer something like the term life because it feels more 
well, alive, right? It feels more like alive. Divine intelligence is also triggering for some people. So it's hard to find a word. And I think that's part of this discussion is it is personal. It is personal. Mm-hmm. It's personal mm-hmm. what what that what that being or figure or you know whatever you want to call it becomes for a person is personal. And the reason I'm doing the episode is that this is intimately related to intimacy and to partnership. And so it's it I feel it would be a disservice to my clients to not be bringing up this part this part of their world. Because if you're just trying to look at your relationship with human beings and why do I keep attracting the same kind of woman? Why do I keep getting into, why am I constantly ghosted? Why do I always feel like I'm never enough in relationship? You know, why, why are these things always falling apart? There's a part of this that's related to this, this experience. So I would love to hear a little bit about how you feel like you got there, got there, quote unquote, got there, because I also find a lot of attachment discussions like kind of dwell on the the problems. <laughs> they don't talk yeah. about yeah. attachment. So I want that to be the focus. So can you, yeah, say a little bit about how you realized, oh shit, I've totally made life my dad or God, whatever your word is, the, mm-hmm. the universe, my dad. I gotta figure this out. And then how did how did you do that? How did you get to a better relationship with the universe? Well, I was lucky that I had improved my relationship with my dad. You know, my dad passed away during COVID, not from COVID, but, um, but prior to that, I had really come to a lot of acceptance and a lot of, um, love and a lot of feeling like, you know, he's just a guy doing the best that he could. Right. And so in doing that, I also was able to soften how I held myself accountable to things. Okay. And so by the time he died, you know, we, I mean, our relationship was our relationship. And my point in bringing that up is since then, you know, in the almost two years that he passed away, it's like, I have further grown my whole connection spiritually that it's not a negative thing. It's not, you know, like I'm being judged or I'm being punished, right? Because we are the creators of our own world. And it's really hard for uh, most of us to get that. Like we think everything happens to us. And so my transition has been, if I'm really the captain of my own ship, if I'm really here to be a creator, what do I want to create? And so it's not a, a straight path. It's not linear. I am not perfect at this at all. Okay. And what I try to do is I try to embody love as much as possible and learn the true meaning of love. So, you know, as an example, I was mentioning to Melanie before this, that my husband's in the hospital right now. And so when I was getting ready to leave last night, I, um, I was walking outside to take a walk, like to my car, like a long walk. Uh, or a longer walk, I should say. And so I was coming to the elevator to the parking garage. And this woman was like, oh, you know, do you want me to hold the door for you? I'm like, sure. So she does. And I get in, I'm like, oh my God, it's so cold. Like for LA, it was like cold. And so for others who are in colder places, you're like, yeah, right, whatever. Okay. (laughs) So I get in the elevator with her and we're just talking. And then I'm like, well, what do you hear? You know, who are you here to visit? I said, cause I'm here, you know, visiting my husband. And she's like, my son, And I was like, oh, and I started crying with her because she's like her son had gotten in a motorcycle accident and he was only 38 years old. And so the whole thing. Right. But right before that, by the why I bring this up is 
right before I had this conversation with her, I was, when I was walking, I was really focused on, I want to see things from a different perception because of all the things that are going on in my life right now. And so my whole focus was, how can I do that? How do I look at everything on this planet and me inside of that from love? And this isn't a new exercise. This is a more in my face exercise because of all the things going on in my life. And literally this happened with this woman. And all I could feel was all of this, you know, generosity of compassion and, you know, love for her. I wanted to hug her, but, you know, COVID. Uh, So I, you know, I just sat there and cried with her and listened to her, you know, for a few minutes before we went to our cars. But, but it was that point of, you know, bringing it home, right? Just like right there in your face. There's always opportunities. I don't feel like I have to necessarily seek out opportunities to try and grow or change the relationship that was dysfunctional, I'd say, with the universe into functional. Like it has slowly evolved and it is still evolving. Yeah, I think that's a really lovely point about, I think to me, one of the beautiful parts of life is that we are a web, we are connected. And I, I do believe there is a divine intelligence. And so when you say, I want to see things from a different perspective, part of what I hear is show me a different perspective, show me, show me the way, show me something. And then different people can arrive or books or healers, or that's what I've noticed about the more I've been in flow with life, the more it has brought me what I need when I need it. And that is an example of that. I think you were open to connection and you were open to show me a different perspective. Help me, help me. (laughs) And this person showed up that, that did that. And so there's a web, there's a, there's an intelligence, there's a there's a flow going on. And when that's available, when we are open to that, it tends to flow in better when we're really closed. Right. I think mm-hmm. depression is a good example of a lot of depression is rumination. You're just thinking the same sort of negative thoughts over and over and over and over and over. And it's so crowded in that space that you can't see it's there's nothing there's you're not open to a lot else. It's very, it's very closed. You can't see me on the podcast, but my hands are over my face. It's sort of like my tiny little world. It's very small and dark. And that's all I see. And all I, it's all I can do is just be here. And that ability to open that capacity is part of what has to shift in some way in order to get out of, of that hole. Otherwise it's sort of this spiral down. Yeah. And I think this kind of brings us to you know, some, some discussion of ways to get there. So for example, there's some really promising research on psilocybin, also known as magic mushrooms to treat depression and anxiety, whether that's a therapeutic dose with a practitioner or microdosing on psilocybin. That's an example of, it's not talk therapy. You're not going to convince yourself of anything. It's something that you're using to help you grow in this way, right? To help you be open to a different way of relating with life. Mm-hmm. I was talking to you before about a modality called CRM, which evolved out of EMDR and brain spotting, which some of you may be familiar with. EMDR is a somatic therapy. It has to do with left-right movements that your eye follows, and it can help you transfer material from one part of the brain to another so that you're not kind of doing that constant looping or obsession. And CRM 
is a, a whole modality about attaching to a figure that you find safe and loving, safe and loving. So for example, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, Tracy, if you read this article, but they were talking about a specific type of meditation that uh, they wanted people to find a, find a figure that felt unconditionally loving. And so this was in either Bhutan or Tibet and, and they would often use your mother, use your mother, you know, think of your mother. And this worked for a lot of participants. And then they came to the West and they said, think of your mother. And that did not work for a lot of participants. So instead they said, think of your dog, Mm -hmm. right? Think of, think of your, your pet. And for a lot of people, you could see them smile. You could see their physiology relax. Their heart would open. There was a sense of, oh, that, that, that there, there's, Mm -hmm. there's that softness. And then they were working on kind of that that meditation of just being in the sense of, of being loved and of loving, but that sense of being loved, right. My dog loves me. She loves me. She doesn't need anything from me. She, I mean, she wants treats all the time, but she, she just loves me that, that feeling of unconditional love. And so CRM helps people in a, in a, physiological somatic way, get into that process of reattaching. So did you use any other modalities or what was your process around kind of moving some of that anxious material and, and, and relaxing into a more sort of open state? So for me, I developed my own modality and I say my own because I wasn't necessarily following this modality or that modality, what I learned was when I would go to therapy, I would do the vomit thing, you know, where I would just vomit out and vent. And my therapist at the time tried to do, I forgot what the system was called. It's not family systems. It was something else, you know, where she would have me reenact things, but me playing the parent and that kind of thing. And that really, because again, I had a lot of anxiety and I had all these attachments and I had all of these other issues going on at the time. I, it really didn't, it didn't serve me. It was just more intellectual play. So I'd walk out and I'd feel anxious. So this one day when I was walking down the street, I I share this all the time because it's true. I was walking down the street and I realized, oh my God, you know, I was in an attached relationship. This person came back again. I was always like, I'd get irritated and I'd be like, get out of my life. And then he'd come back. Right. And I thought, oh, I'm over him, whatever. And then literally that day I hear from him and I remember I got so irritated with myself. I went, oh my God, I feel the same exact way. Nothing has changed. None of my feelings, all this work quotes, I have air quotes going, right? All of that, that I thought I was doing, I wasn't. And so at that moment I went, okay, Tracy, you're not leaving the situation again until you have clarity and resolution emotionally which to me was like the most foreign thing I could have said to myself because I was so cut off from my emotions. I could feel anxiety, but I couldn't feel the rest. So for me, it was a learning process. So one of the things I had to do was I decided I had to speak a truth. So when I decided to speak a truth, I would have, oh my God, like a panic attack because I would send these text messages and think, oh my God, you know, he's just going to think I'm crazy and reject me or what have you. And at first I'd blame him because I was still being a victim. I wasn't taking responsibility for my own feelings or for the things I'd say or do. And that came later after I learned to have a voice that was more true rather than manipulative, rather than trying to get somebody to do something. 
So what I started to do was to honor my feelings just by recognizing them and not making them wrong. This again, not overnight, took a long time. The other thing I started to do is I realized like one day I was walking, I used to walk a lot and I still walk, but I was walking and I had this thought and it was, I'm never going to have a functional relationship or something like that. And I said it and I could feel something in my body. And at that moment, and I just did this generically, right? I go, is it true? And I heard a no inside of me and that went away. And I never had that feeling or thought again about it. And I realized that there's something to the alignment of what you think, what you feel and what you do that actually can break a pattern or shift it. And so I started to really get into feeling my feelings in my body, you know, doing most people would say somatics. Um, I hadn't studied somatics at that point. And I started feeling things in my body. Oh, that feels stiff or that's tension or that's pain. And then I would go into those things. And first I would just sit there and ride the wild pony, right? Because you're talking a lifetime of ignoring feelings. You got a lot of feelings. So I got into that. And as I did, I realized that there were releases and there were things that I could do to shift my perception, you know, going back in time, because it always takes you back to childhood, right? And I could then bring it forward and go, okay, so I shifted back then, which is a little helpful doing those releases back in time is a little helpful. What could I do now while feeling it and making myself vulnerable and making me actually connect and hear the other voice inside of me, not the inner critic voice, but that voice that's always there, that inner wisdom or your higher self or whatever you want to call it is there talking to me and telling me to do this, which I never want to do because I always wanted to win when it came to, you know, other people, I didn't want to be vulnerable and be honest and truthful because I might lose, but I started doing things like that. And I started breaking a lot of patterns and shifting my beliefs in a way that had been previously impossible for me to do. So, you know, that was a big part of it. And it's a lot of what I base my work on is people getting in their bodies and being able to be a full whole human and be connected because here's what I learned. The safest place for me to be is to not attach to an object or to even, you know, my higher self or anything like that. It was to feel a feeling of attaching inside of me and making the inside of me the safest place to be, because that was the only for me permanent part of what my life had. And so there I could then connect spiritually if I chose, which I do choose, but I had more of being that captain of my own ship, of being the creator of my life, because that way I could also allow things on the outside to do what they're going to do and then figure out, well, I need to ride that wave. I don't need to overthink it or analyze it or ruminate or make a story up and ruminate on it. All I can do is just go, I'm going to ride the wave and be curious because perhaps something's coming that I have no idea what but it doesn't matter. I'm still going to be okay. And that's pretty much like in a really, you know, concise nutshell, what I went through and what I learned about myself. Yeah. I'm curious if you can give an example of what you mean by share a truth. I, what you're talking about is speaking up for your feelings with this person you were dating. Is that true? I did do that, but 
I, you know, cause I didn't know what I was doing, but I can give you an example though, of where it really made a difference. And that was once I got past that point and I was dating my current husband and I had a whole thing about time. Like I didn't like if people were late and for some reason it would just trigger the crap out of me. And I realized that I realized how insane it was because it made, it made no material difference in the world. And we're talking not like an hour late, we're talking like five minutes late or what have you. So he was supposed to come over and we had both taken the day off work and he ended up going to lunch with his um, daughter and he said he'd be there, but then they decided they needed to go do something else. And I could just feel this rage and all this stuff. And so I'm like, okay, Trace, you're being triggered. It's not him, whatever. I mean, I knew this and I was feeling my way through it. So when he got over to my house, I said to him, I know I'm totally triggered and I'm probably going to say some things that I don't want to say, but I need to get them out. So you understand where this is coming from. And then I triggered him. And what happened, and this is what I'm talking about in the magic of this, right? Is that we went and sat down at my dining room table and I remember it vividly. My usual way of dealing would have been just like, get the hell out. Just, you know, I don't want to deal with you. And he would have been like, I need to leave. I need to go. Okay. But we didn't do that. What I did was I sat there and I could feel in the depth of my being, okay, what I needed to do, which was to be vulnerable and say what was true rather than acting tough or acting shut down. I had to actually be vulnerable. And that is an action. And that was words. And I connected rather than disconnected, which is what, again, I would normally do. And he would, you know, disconnect. He, he was not an insecurely attached person, by the way. He's more securely attached than I've yeah. He doesn't have a lot of that. Right. So point is it changed what happened afterwards because afterwards we just went on with our lives instead of there's now a drama that you have to fix and all the other crap that happens when you're not really being vulnerable and speaking truth. And do you have a sense of, you know, that, that core that you shared, was it like, I'm realizing I just feel dropped. I just felt dropped. Or what were the actual words? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. They want to be vulnerable or they want to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. They don't know what, what does that even sound like? Because most people's homes didn't have vulnerable conversations in them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it was, I had to take responsibility. I, I just said, I go, I know that I am wrong. I know that, you know, what you were doing was actually the thing I would have done if I were in your shoes. I know that I have really no reason to be upset and that I'm just triggered because of my own feelings of lacking love when it came to, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't get the attention. I didn't get the, the reassurance that whatever I felt was okay. I said, so in a sense, I'm by, by hearing, see, the thing is for me, I could hear inside of me and feel inside of me, not the exact words, but like, it's the thing that's always there, the feeling that you don't want to do, that you're like, ah, I don't want to do that. Let me do this instead, what I usually do. And I just went with what that was. And in the words didn't come out smoothly. They didn't, you know, I didn't rehearse it because it wasn't from up here. It was really from my real feelings and my real feelings I was just at a point in my life too, where I was sick and tired of having the same kind of dynamics and relationships that I used to have and making it dysfunctional. And I'm like, no, I I need to do what's functional here. And, you know, admitting, telling on myself 
was huge, you know, and not shaming myself at the same time, not making me a bad guy. It's like, this is just how I feel. This is what I did. I'm sorry, because this is so not about you. Yeah. And it sounds like you really felt, I mean, it sounds like he got triggered by maybe feeling like he was in the wrong or whatever. I don't know, but it sounds like he was able to meet you in your vulnerability. It sounds like he was able to hold that as the precious gift that it was. And I think that dynamic, what you just described, if you share something like that and he holds it, Mm -hmm. that's a healthy dynamic. It's not that we never get triggered. It's that one person's able to share and the other person's able to receive, because if he's going to shame you, or if he's going to write storm out, when you give him that precious gift, that's a non-starter, but to receive that, you know, do you, do you remember feeling received? Do you remember how he, how he handled that? Cause I know you said he got triggered, but what was, was he able to say, I hear, I hear that. He was, I mean, and that really, this was, uh, probably about two or three months into our dating. I don't even know if it was that far in. And it was like the first event, let's say. And what's interesting is that we've had very few events. I mean, I've been with him for five years and it's because our communication is always honest. Like I say things like my husband's in the hospital, but I don't act like a martyr. You know, I'm not like, okay, I'm going to be the perfect wife now and do all these things and not take care of myself. Taking care of myself also includes sharing with him the stress of the situation because he's sharing with me his stress too. Right. And we're not used to that. We're used to, oh, no, you got to shut up and you just got to be all there for the person because they're sick and what have you. But I don't want to be resentful because if you're honest, you're going to be resentful. You might hide it because you're coming across as the perfect wife or perfect husband, but you're not being real. And that's my whole thing. It's like he knows it. And I always tell you know, I say I'm just venting, honey. You know what? It's not for you to fix, not for you to do. And he just listens. He doesn't take me personally at all. It took him a little time and it took me time because both of us, what we do is we realize, oh, I'm triggered. You know what? And, and we might get mad for a second. Like literally we have like these two seconds, like, "Ah," you know, and like, we don't even really say anything. And it's that realization of, okay, this is my crap. Great. Okay. I got to go deal with me. (laughs) you know. And he deals with him and then we'll talk about it later, but it's never these long painful conversations that couples have who do not communicate on a regular basis. Mm, Yeah. And I also really like that. Like, uh, you know, I'm constantly Uh coaching my clients into expression, just verbal expression, any kind of expression that's not words, that's actually somatic in some way is going to be faster. You're going to process material faster because it's right brain. It's not left brain. You're not thinking or analyzing or doing the head thing, right? That rumination dance that we we're talking about, uh, right? <laughs> through your body is always faster and ultimately a lot more effective. And I I really like what we're saying here because it's so interesting, you know, that, that, that healthy attachment to a person, I think is similar to the healthy attachment to life. I know in my own process, I had to do a lot of rage, rage work. I was fucking pissed at the universe 
or life or God or whatever word I was using at the time. I don't remember, but I was fucking pissed. I was so pissed. I was like, fuck you for this. Fuck you for that. And you were never here for me here. And I've been poor for a really long time. I was like, oh, I had to do a lot of rage work. And I don't think I could have gotten to where I, where I was, where I got to without that. I don't think I could have denied all of that rage and all of that, um, depth of emotion, just been like, Oh, I have a great relationship with God. Yeah. I really trust God. Fuck that. I didn't trust God at all. I didn't trust right. to take care of me. I was like, I've been taking care of me. I'm doing it all. If I weren't doing it, nothing would happen. I was like really pissed. And I think that, you know, that, um, that vulnerability that you talked about of, I could, I could feel it sort of down in my stomach of feeling that, uh, I don't want to tell him this. I don't want to tell him the truth that I'm hurt. Like I feel hurt. I've been trained to be strong. I've been trained to look strong and be, you know, be perfect or look perfect or whatever it is. And the truth is down here in my belly, which is I'm wrong. This is not rational that I feel so upset, but I'm so upset. <laughs> upset right now and thing happened when I was a kid and all this stuff. And I think that's, there's a, there's a similarity to one of the places I got to in my journey was show me, show me how to trust you. I don't know how to trust you life. I don't know how Mm -hmm. to, I would have done it by now. Show me the way I need help. I need help. I need help. I don't know how to do this. And when I started doing that, other things came into my life that helped me figure that out, right? It was books. It was people. It was teachers. It was a process. And I think a lot of that is the origin of that. You know, what do they say? It's a breakdown to a breakthrough. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people's journeys, a lot of people's journeys involve that breakdown of my hand, like I'm on my knees. I actually think perhaps there are many uh, spiritual traditions where you're on your knees or you're actually on the floor in some yeah. way when you're, when you're praying or when you're in communion. And again, there's a lot of cultural baggage with that, but I think ultimately there was a kernel of, of love in that, which is I need help mm-hmm. and you're bigger, please help me. And right. that, and that when we are able to do that in a healthy way and actually listen to the guidance, which to your point, a lot of the time is coming from ourselves, that deep well of wisdom that lives within us that we can trust. We can't hear it. If we are constant, if when I was constantly being in charge and control, trying to control everything, I wasn't quiet enough. I couldn't hear it. I could not hear it. And so when I got quiet, when I got down on my knees, when I got down on the floor, please help me. I don't know how to do this. I need help to figure out how to trust you then, then I could feel. And I remember doing some, um, EFT sessions. I don't know if anyone listening has done the tapping, but I used to do EFT tapping and I would do a lot of sort of crying and raging and, you know, Mm -hmm. experiencing my emotions, whatever it was. And at the end of an EFT session, I was exhausted. I would be exhausted, but I was still, I found that stillness. I could, I could hear, I could feel. And for me, a lot of the, um, the spiritual work was actually with dolphins. That's my totem animal. And I would see them in my meditations and I could feel their energy and their energy was peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I would actually see, this is funny, but when I was in my lowest point, one of my, uh, t- inner teachers was a dolphin in an Aloha shirt. 
I'm from Oahu. I'm from Hawaii. And the dolphin would be wearing an Aloha shirt. And I was, I mean, I was really depressed. I considered suicide at one point. This is not a good part of my life. And it was a male dolphin. He was kind of funny. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was funny and he was, he would hold me. And I felt I could just fall apart because I was like, I'm so sad. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. And he would just hold me. And like, that was it. He didn't say a lot, but it was like, I see, I see you. I see you're Mm -hmm. sad. I'm holding you. I'm with you. And like, sometimes you would do a little dance. It was like, right, right. I forgot about humor. I forgot. Mm -hmm. I forgot about joy. I feel like when we're in those really dark places, there's a part of us that just forgets about happiness. Which is like, oh, yeah. oh, that's a thing. Like I didn't even, Oh, I forgot. Like that's a thing. And I would, I would connect to that. And it was part of what got me through. And I think that that is a good example of, you know, the, there's different routes to what we're talking about. And I love that one of yours was really choosing to do the vulnerable thing with another person to really choose to dig deep and say the thing that you're like, I don't fucking want to say this. What I want to do is do a sharp barb. What I want to do is get angry with you. What I want to do is blame you. What I want to do is like, you should have been here. Where were you? You said you were going to be here and you weren't, you are not an integrity, you know, whatever, like, right. Right. To doing it's like, Oh, it's, you can feel that groove in your head where you're like, I just really want to go this way. And that choice to go the other way is so brave and it's so brave and it's so worth it because that is the path, I think, to secure attachment. And it's hard. It's hard. It is hard. It's not easy. My journey, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I wrote my book, which by the way, the original title was not overcoming insecure attachment. The original title was deal with it. We're all fucked up eight ways to happiness, no matter what the fuck is going on. And I have this whole thing about no matter what the fuck is going on, because that's going to be in my second book and my publisher is not going to take it out this time. So I'm like, no, but anyways, the reason is because most of us we're all fucked up, but it's whether you're happy and fucked up or you're miserable and fucked up and attachment to things that don't really give you happiness. That's going to leave you in fucked up, whatever it happens to be, because you, what you're doing is you're avoiding yourself. You're avoiding your truth. You're avoiding anything and everything that could bring you happiness when you get attached to things. It doesn't mean you just sit in your living room and you know eat a chocolate bar and watch TV because then you're not engaging. You're not being active. You're not creating. You, you are here to create, to be a creator. And it's not to force things. It's not to make it so you have something to attach to. It is to be in the journey of joy, to be in the moment, even when shit is hitting the fan. And that to me, that's like the biggest lesson. And I'm still learning that lesson. I am not perfect and I have not arrived at whatever I'm supposed to, but I know that I am a hell of a lot more happy than I used to be when I was going from one attachment to another, whether the attachment was, what do you think of me? I'm attached to me looking like I've got my shit together. Okay. Or what I have in my environment around me. It's like, I love nice things and I can love nice things, but I don't want to define myself or my safety through those things. I don't want to define myself by anything outside of me because I can't control it. And it's fruitless. It's a waste of time. Yeah. I like that you said that because I do think there's a lot of, we don't realize it, but we attach our value or our worth to say our career 
right? I have these accolades. I work for this institution. Therefore, I'm valuable. And so when that's taken away, to your point, there are many things we can't control. Say the university loses its funding for some reason, and now you're out of a job. If, If there was an attachment there to my worth or my value is based on this thing, now you're in an identity crisis on top of losing a job or if you're in a relationship that you were like, I am a wife and mother. That's what I am. That's my value. That's who I am. That's what I am. And right. some, something's lost around that. Holy fuck. You know, that's extremely traumatic. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, I am safe. I have a relationship with, you know, myself mm-hmm. and also life, life, you know, sense of there is some flow here. Something else is going to arrive. I'm, I'm taken care of in some way. I don't, I can't see the way I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but something's going to work. It's going to go in a direction. I'm going to go in a direction. I'm going to keep following the leads as they arrive. And I think that's the, the co-creation that I've seen work with a lot of my clients is Mm -hmm. we'll talk about how do you want to feel in your relationship, in your future relationship, right? Not who does she, what does she look like? What, you know, the checkbox or the list. I don't care about that because I've seen clients with people they never expected to be with and be overjoyed people in all sorts of circumstances. So my concern is how do you feel with this person? And then invite that into your life tell life, I want to feel this way with someone. This is where I'm going and then follow the leads. Maybe the leads are going to be online dating. Maybe they're going to be something else, but there's a North star and you're putting it out there and then you're allowing what comes back to come back. So it's like the infinity loop. I put things out there and I receive, I put things out there and I receive. It's not that you're passive to your point sitting on the couch, but it's also not that you're trying to control everything all the time such that you're not really receptive you're a bit rigid when you're trying to control everything all the time instead of allowing that, that flow. Oh my God. Yeah. The whole rigidity thing. Um, you know, and I think a lot of us overthink a lot of this because I'm always about how do you simplify all of it? Right. Like you and I are talking and we have a lot of similarities, by the way, I believe in how we view things and and the way we work with people. And you know, for me, because it's a lot of words, I'm always like, let's simplify. Let's get to the simplistic. And the simplistic really is you got love or you got fear. You either keep building your life on fear, which is attachment personified. Okay. Or love, which is about trust, which is about being in the flow. And so you're not having to become someone else. You're having to let go of all the things that you attach to. And it's kind of scary. You kind of feel naked. You kind of feel like, what the hell am I doing? But for me, I got to the point where that was the only way. And it still is like, I can't even, (laughs) I couldn't even, if I wanted to do a lot of the same attachment crap I used to do, I can't even do a lot of the the ways of being because there is literally a immediate, like, boom, nope, not going there. Not can't do that. Whether it's the universe or whether it's just me and my own intuition, it's just not conducive to what you want and what we all want. We want to be happy. Well, love is happiness. Fear is not happiness. Fear is rumination. Fear is holding on. Fear is not changing. It's staying in this little tiny, you know, circle, right? Prison that you built. And that's why when it comes to attachment, look inside and find what's my motivation. Is it extrinsic? Is it intrinsic? 
You know, that's another thing too, where a lot of us aren't clear on the motivation that we have. And you have to know if it's extrinsic, I'm looking for validation. I'm looking to get something back. There are strings attached. I need a reward. I am avoiding punishment. Those are all extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation is the joy of doing. It's feeling autonomous in the choice that you have to be able to do whatever it is that you're doing. And it's just that sheer pleasure of it. And that can be anything in life. You can you know, look at something and then you can choose to look at it either intrinsically or extrinsically and make your choices that way. Because the more intrinsically motivated you are, the more you will find you're not attached to jack shit. Mm. Yeah, a good example of that is creativity, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a writer and am I writing so that I get something or people listen, or is it, I feel the desire to share. I am, I have started a practice lately of what wants to come through me today in my writing, what wants to come through me. I'm going to publish that Mm -hmm. whether or not it's popular or, you know, it gets picked up or whatever it is. And that's, I think the difference extrinsic is I'm doing this so that I get likes and follows or whatever Mm -hmm. versus I'm doing this to share what's on my heart. I feel I want to put this out into the world. I'm creating something for the sake of creation rather than for these other things in order for these other things to happen. So as we start to wrap up here, where can people find you and your book? Okay. Well, your next book coming out. Cause I don't think it's, it's not out yet. No, my next book is still being written. Interestingly enough. Um, as I said, I'm living in the, what the fuck circumstances. So <laughs> Don't ever lose your sense of humor, people. Uh, so anyways, uh, you can find me at tracycrossley.com and it's Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, C-R-O-S-S-L-E-Y. And all my social media links are there. Um, we also have a book page and it really, you can find my book at any bookseller, I mean, Target, you know, uh, Walmart, all the way to Amazon, Barnes Noble, um, and globally, wherever. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. So, um, and you can also, if you want, you can download a free chapter of my book from my website too, if you just want to kind of check it out. Um, but yeah, you can, you can find me there and you'll see all my programs and everything I got. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Hey guys, did you know I teach a course exactly about sex? It's called Please Her and Bed, and it's based on all of my sex research asking women, what do the men who are best in bed do? I asked over a thousand women, 1,067 to be precise, and then I put together this course. Here are a few responses from men who've taken it. I almost immediately started seeing a woman shortly after the course. She is open and all over me. And we've had sex. Before the course, I hadn't had intercourse in about two years. And I found that a couple of men have said this where they've taken the course and then they've started having sex with a woman. And I think it's because their confidence levels went up because they finally felt like they actually knew what they were doing. Here's another man who was married when he started taking it. I took the course hoping to establish a closer relationship with my wife of over 20 years. Our sex life was always vanilla, but lately it had dwindled to less than once a month and not particularly satisfying for either of us. Since the course, however, our sex life has improved considerably. Now I feel way more confident about my ability to connect with my wife and make the experience satisfying for both of us. I've always loved her, but feel like I'm falling in love with her again after 25 years. If you're interested in hearing more, go to pleaseherinbed.com and the course is listed for $97, but if you're a podcast listener and you use code DEARMEN, that's all one word, DEARMEN, you can get it for 69